Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. The ninth annual online ADHD Awareness Expo is right around the corner. It'll take place throughout the month of October, and I'll be a part of it. My topic? Three ways to communicate with your ADHD child besides talking. Register at www.adhdexpo.com slash adhdessentials to let them know I sent you. That's www.adhdexpo.com slash adhdessentials. And also, don't forget to throw us a five-star rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already. The more reviews we get, the more people can find the show. This is episode 39. In today's episode, we're talking to Robin Miller. Robin is a mother with ADHD of a child with ADHD. She's also a licensed mental health clinician, a college academic coach, and the author of a children's book about early intervention playgroups. We talk about early markers for ADHD, the steps Robin has taken to support her son ever since he was an infant, and the challenges she helps her college students with. All right, let's get rolling. Yes, he's adopted. He's from Indiana. We adopted him at 11 days. He was born premature, uh, underweight. His mom didn't know she was pregnant, so she didn't take care of herself. And being an older mom, she uh, did have two other children who were adults at the time. They felt that he would be okay because, you know, it was an unprepared pregnancy for her. She was obese. And, you know, there's certain factors going against him. But fortunately, he was he was born, you know, even though he was three weeks late and 5.3 pounds. Um, in the, and he was in the, uh, uh, the preemie ward for uh, 13 days. Um, he was able to come home with no uh, health issues attached to it. Oh, cool. Well, I was aware, being in the field of social service, that he, you know, he was more likely to have ADHD because the research shows being born premature, being underweight, and if you if you're born under the conditions where a parent is smoking or not taking care of themselves, that the risks were really high. So I intuitively had a very strong sense that he was going to have it. You were fairly proactive when it came to your son. Absolutely. They said he would have to be, they recommended he be tested for early intervention. And when I first heard that, I, I took a seat back, said, oh, wow. And I told my husband on a wait, we were driving to Ohio. And I said, we definitely have a lot of work to do. As soon as we got him back, he was tested, he screened out. But they did say that um, he can go to an early intervention playgroup at the community resident where we would have to pay. So we said, okay, no problem. I think that's pretty cool once a week for an hour and a half. So that's what we did. We did it from five months to 18 months, an hour and a half every month. Uh, did it for a whole year. Religiously went every time. Mm-hmm. It was a work in progress for those babies and young toddlers. And did you find that that was helpful for your son? Absolutely. 
they had all these uh, structured activities at free play time. And again, they had all babies with disabilities, some had oxygen, some were already diagnosed having autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome. They had free time, then they had uh, circle time and snack time, which is definitely their most favorite activity. I mean, they were babies, they were having fun. Gross motor skills where they run around and ride a bike, kick a ball. So it was definitely, a, it was a great workout for them. It was definitely tiring for us too. Mm-hmm. Helped his motor skills, fine motor, gross motor. That's what he got. That's why he's a soccer star now because at 15 months he started kicking the ball around. Mm-hmm. Some of the parents felt very awkward being there because they felt ashamed. They felt embarrassed, humiliated. And I said, no, no, just, just enjoy. Baby's a baby. Just enjoy. It helps, it helps everybody, helps the babies. And that can be hard for, for parents when they find out that their child's going to have a disability. There's some mourning that needs to go on there. And we often, as parents, don't get permission to do that mourning. We don't even get the information that we need to. And it's, it's sort of one thing if your child is diagnosed with, say, Down syndrome, mm-hmm. because that disability is really significant. It's clear. Um, ADHD is a little bit different. It's a little bit harder to get that permission to mourn the kid that you sort of dreamt of, but maybe aren't going to get. Um, because ADHD can be a little more subtle in how it presents and the challenges that it presents as well. Yes. 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 They're not given that time of mourning or an opportunity to talk to somebody about it too. You have to be proactive and find it yourself. And have you done that for yourself? Yeah. I mean, um, they say, uh, you know, birth parents, birth mothers go through postpartum depression, which they now screen better now. Mm-hmm. They don't do any postpartum depression for adoptive moms, but there is a, a, a postpartum depression for adoptive moms. I went through that for about a month because of the highs and lows of the adoption process. So I definitely, you feel it hormonally. I don't know about fathers on mm-hmm. both sides, birth father or not, but I felt that. And I was not educated on it. I had to find it out myself. So I had to do what I had to do to talk to somebody myself about that too. And just the, the way an infant can affect sleep. You adopted your son when he was 11 days old? Yes, sleep was okay. I mean, yes, we had to get up for two weeks at three in the morning to feed him because he wasn't gaining weight, but that's part of the process. You know, you look back now and saying, it is what it is, it is what it was. And what led you to, to adopting your son? Well, we wanted to adopt a child and Massachusetts, in our eyes, doesn't promote adoption like the uh, Bible states do, like Indiana, Florida, Georgia. We didn't want an open adoption, so we um, went to Indiana, and we had to do a home study here. We had to get lawyers out there as well as here. It took a much shorter process here, where it only took a year, as opposed to going through the adoption process in Massachusetts, which would take years. Mm-hmm. And Indiana is a very proactive adoption state. They have billboards. How old is your son now? He is nine. He's in fourth grade. What are you seeing with him? How is ADHD affecting your family with your son, with yourself? Uh, you know, we started noticing around five or six when he was in school that he wasn't paying attention. And we kept getting notes saying he was not paying attention. His handwriting was sloppy and he wasn't concentrating. So I picked up on it when we got the notes from the teacher. I said, something's not right. So we met with the teacher. He got some physical therapy for writing. And then um, at seven, six to seven, uh, we went to one place to get him tested for ADHD, but they did a lousy job. 
um, we're very disappointed in this program that was supposed to test them for ADHD and they didn't do a full testing. The primary care doctor and I were very disappointed because they billed our insurance where they did half the job. Mm -hmm. And that was not cool. So then um, we went to the primary doctor and he diagnosed him when he was seven. And there took a while to get the right medicine to figure out what the right fit was for him. We also had him tested in school for an IEP. He tested into a 504 for third grade. And in terms of those struggles, is it only presenting academically? Are we having challenges at home in terms of behavior or anything? Yes, we had that too. We wasn't paying attention. Took a while. Well, for me, because of my training, I I know how to work with kids with ADHD, setting limits and boundaries, knowing that it takes more than one time to get them focused. It was a learning experience for both of us. We went to counseling, uh, family counseling for that. And uh, we learned about setting reward structure, uh, setting uh, limits, you know, giving them time to do it and then take a break, doing appropriate rewards. So we hold them accountable. Can you share some of the sort of rewards and limits that you've been using? Yes, we've learned through the Positive Parenting Program from Yale. I I forgot the name of it, but uh, we learned that in counseling. We learned about, you know, you have small rewards and you have big rewards. And we found that he had a, every day he had to earn a 10 in the morning and a 10 for the rest of the day. And if he earned a 10, then he was able to play with his nabby or watch a little TV. And if he didn't, he lost something. And then at the end of the week or so, he would get the next privilege, like maybe a little Lego toy or maybe ice cream kind of stuff. So we did that um, in third grade. Now we haven't done much of the doing the 10 per se, because now we have a dog. So, you know, he behaves better because now that we have a dog, yes, I have to still gear him in the right direction in the morning when he doesn't take his medicine. I notice now that he's nine, he's a little more impulsive in the morning because the medicine is only good for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So I have to get him back and say, take your medicine, focus. I can watch a little TV and then you're going to come up for breakfast. And if he doesn't listen, I say that you'll lose your nabby for the night or you won't have a privilege. What is a nabby? A nabby is like an iPad. Okay. But it's, it's smaller. But um, the point is, is that he knows what the rules are in the house. And in terms of earning a 10, is that a 10 out of 10? Is it a 10 out of 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 in the morning? Really? Breakfast, brushing his teeth, getting dressed. So there's no room for error in there. We give him, we notice on Mondays and after a long holiday, you know, yes, we know that. We give him a little feedback on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like today, the, uh, the fish died. And he felt very sad. So I allowed him to go on YouTube and watch cartoons because my son's very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And he felt very sad the fish died. I said, okay, this is the only time you can do it. He knows the rules. But I have to say there's no issues in school or at the after school. So that's good. Yeah, I think it's the peer pressure and he's on his medication. And he's done better in school. They took him off to 504, which the doctor and I were not happy about. But he's on a accommodation plan. Uh, for extra time if he needs it and if he needs exercise breaks. And so is that as a result of the medication? Yes. He had 10 accommodations. He didn't really use a lot of it. But right now he's allowed to have like a stretch break or a a verbal reminder. So you've found that his medication has made a change for him? It's helped him? Um, It has. But you know something? I feel that ADHD is is lifetime. He's going to grow. No medication is 100%. The rest is you. You know, you still have to monitor yourself. You still have to hold yourself accountable. And you mentioned that he plays soccer, so he's getting exercise, which is 
we're finding equally effective as medication. Yes. So that's good. Yeah, I hope and pray after 18 and continuance is medication uh, because um, it doesn't end. I, you know, people have to know that ADHD is a developmental disorder through the lifespan. Absolutely. In terms of ADHD, you've talked a little bit about how it's made things harder, um, just sort of academically. Sometimes the morning can be a bit of a struggle. What does it add to your family? He's extremely creative. He loves building Legos. He contributes in taking care of the dog, taking the dog out. You know, he helps with the garden. If he wants to earn money for chores, like I told him, he's going to have to help, you know, rake and uh, if the stuff that needs to be done. Um, so, you know, he can be very creative. And when he wants to, he can build things, create things. Uh, we made a zucchini bread, pumpkin zucchini bread. So, you know, when EJ wants to focus and he enjoys a topic, he can be very productive and very conversationalist. He loves to be read to or he loves to read. So he adds that sort of creativity and warmth to the house. Nice. Does he enjoy baking? You mentioned the zucchini bread. Is that? Yeah, we made a zucchini bread and we made that together because I watched him, of course. And he likes sometimes to make his own breakfast, sometimes takes a little too much or a little too much milk. But, you know, it's part of the education process and not to act on impulse, to think twice before you do something. Mm -hmm. That will always be a challenge. Think twice. you got to come back to it. Think back. Take, take a few steps back before you do something. Right. Yeah. Practicing that pause. Yeah. It's that pause. So you've mentioned as we've been talking that you work with, with people in a capacity that causes, cause you to know about ADHD in advance. What is it that you do? Well, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I've been doing it for 20 years and I've had adults, children. I also um, am success coach at a college. So I've learned that you have to use uh, structure. You have to develop structure in your life, a plan, uh, taking short breaks. Your role as a success coach at a college, I mean, that's got to be setting you up for developing that structure, particularly around academics to help your son as he grows. Yes, he's definitely going to have to, as he gets older, he's going to have to make time to study and he's going to have to make the time to um, practice what he's learning. Am I understanding this? He loves math. Math comes second nature to him. He loves math. Do you have any tips that you could share with us as a success coach that might be useful for the folks listening at home? We use executive functioning skills. We do time management, organization skills. We do a little bit of, about test anxiety because coaching is about where they're at. Counseling is about how they got there. Right. So we're not talking about how they got there. We talk about test anxiety. We talk about how to get grounded. We talk about how to prepare for a test, how to take notes. I find that uh, students across the board, not only where I am, but nationwide, they're spending too much time on video games. Six hours a day is really a lot. <laughs> wow. And when it interferes with your sleep, you just have to cut it down. You have to discipline yourself now that you're 18 and over to, to do breaks. Two hours at a time if you need to do it. Because if you're telling me that you can't study and you're procrastinating, well, what's the cause? I'm watching video games. I'm participating in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Then you have to cut down on that. Are video games a typical challenge that you're seeing, it sounds like? I do. I, I'm seeing that and TV time. I, and it's not just where I am. Like I said, it's across the board. It's nationwide, worldwide. How do you help your students to navigate that video game impulse? Well, you know, we talk about procrastination. It can interfere with health. It can interfere with academic life. You do one step at a time. For example, I'll say, if you're in your room playing a video game, 
why don't you take your backpack and put it on your bed so you could see it straight in front of you while you're playing your video game? Because that would be a reminder to you that you need study. Mm-hmm. So just leave it on your bed for a week and look at it. And I'm like, come on. I said, well, it's a cueing for you. It's a cueing you to remind you that you have to study. And then the next week, take a book out and just look at it. Mm-hmm. It has to be on their terms where they say, okay, I need to study. I need to cut down a little bit. It has to be on their terms. Do you find that your son is having any challenges around video games or anything like that? Well, yes, he is limited. Oh, we have him limit on his nabby for an hour during the week. Mm-hmm. Same thing um, on TV. Your boundaries are stronger than mine. And I, I get all kinds of grief for mine. You got to set the limits now because if you don't, if you know, it's going to get harder. Right. My kids will come home and talk to me about how they have friends and they're like, yeah, all they do is play PlayStation. Yes. We don't even know what to do about that. Why do they always play PlayStation? There's other stuff. Your son is about the same age as my son because my guys are also in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how he's finding socialization around um, video games and where he fits in. Because I know my guys find that a little bit challenging, particularly with Fortnite, which has recently been a big deal. My guys don't even like that game. So they struggled to connect to other kids, especially during summer camp because everybody was talking about Fortnite and they didn't know anything about it. With putting those boundaries around your son and his access to screen time and media, is that having any kind of an impact for him? Well, I don't, I don't think the Nabby has it. He likes to play the dragon game where they earn rewards. So um, he's mentioned that as well as Minecraft and Freddy, Five Nights at Freddy. Mm-hmm. But we don't have it on here. We only have the dragon thing. We don't have a, a PlayStation or a, or a Wii. So do you have any specific or reoccurring struggles that you faced as a family affected by ADHD? Yeah, it's the homework, making sure he does the homework. Reminding him you got to do it because fourth grade, they do more homework. We have a second schedule where um, you can either come home from school and start his homework. And then get back to it, or after eight or eight o'clock, you stop, do your homework, do your reading. Mm-hmm. It's, it's reminded that you have to do this. Right. I don't know if if he was let by himself, if he would do it. I don't know. But again, he's only a fourth grade. Right. Yeah. Kids today have too many uh, stimulations as opposed to when we were younger. We only had a TV set. We didn't have all these distractions. Left to um, his devices. I don't know, but. We, uh, we make sure that he does his homework, that we know education is important in our household. So what are some of the ways that you support him in doing his homework? I sit next to him <laughs> and I'll have him do his writing. He could do his math on his own, but I am in the living room. My husband's in the living room. We will be here when he does his homework. We're not leaving him alone. Mm-hmm. And just to raise that accountability for him? Yes. And we will check it. We have him do it. And if we need to get out of the room, we tell him we need to do it. And then we will check up on him. We do give him a break between one subject to another for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And then he has to go back to it. And when is he generally doing his homework? Either after school when he comes home after six or he'll do it at eight, eight to eight thirty. Okay. But we tell him you have to do your homework. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if you want to play with your Legos, you got to wait. You want to play with the dog, you have to wait. Now, do you find, and I'm going a little deep here. Do you find a difference in his in bedtime when he's doing homework later versus earlier? No. He's a late riser. I mean, even since he was a baby, he would go to bed at 11. Now he goes to bed 9.30, quarter to 10. Mm-hmm. 8.30 doesn't cause him to stay up late. 
no, but nothing before and nothing after nine because he's done. No video games after nine. Mm-hmm. Nothing that too exciting because then he can't calm down. Right. His sleep will have to change next year in middle school because he's going to have to get up at 6.30 in the morning. That's going to be a big change for everybody. I'm not an early riser either. That, yeah, that is a big change. That's much earlier. And high school too. Well, high school is on his own. He's going to have to get up because I'll watch him and he's going to have to go. Mm-hmm. So you've written a book as well, a children's book. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sort of what prompted you to want to write this book and the message behind it? I wrote a book called Playgroup Time when my son EJ was evaluated for early intervention. Even when he screened out, they talked about a playgroup. I said, well, do you have something on it to show me about what it is? Do you have pictures? And they didn't have any information to really share. They just said, you go and play. Mm-hmm. So I went to this play group and I learned about the different activities. And I said, you know, parents need to have something pictorially or graphically in front of them about what is a play group. So after he was done, I started writing a story about what early intervention play group is. You know, I, I talk about it from EJ that he meets a new friend at play group who cries on his first day and how he's going to show them how much fun it is. So we go through the different activities of the little mishaps and they happen and how much fun it is where at the end the friend wants to come back. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, uh, a very colorful book, 30 page book that educates families about what it is and how much fun it is. And they don't have to necessarily have a special need to go. You just go and have fun. Awesome. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials around ADHD or coming from a family affected by ADHD that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, somebody like me who has ADHD, I found that, you know, in general, ADHD tend to get really, you could be really high emotional. You get tend to lose your patience sometimes. So sometimes I have to take breaks to come back to it. Or just say I'm really angry or I need a break and I come back because I want to educate EJ that it's okay to be angry, but if you need to take a break, you take a break and you also have to know your limits. We just say, I need to take a break. Mm-hmm. I can't focus right now. And it's important for parents to do that. It's okay to say I'm angry or I'm upset. Take a break. I think it's important for parents to take breaks when their patients run thin or they're upset. And also to let your kids take breaks when they get highly emotional about things. Let them express their feelings appropriately. Teach them anger management because anger issues tend to be an issue for kids with ADHD. I had it too. And I see it in EJ. So work with EJ about different strategies he can use too. Mm-hmm. ADHD can can make you very sensitive, make you very emotional too. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And are you working with him on strategies sort of for managing the frustration after it's happened? Are you helping him identify things that frustrate him and come up with new strategies for approaching those things in a way that's less frustrating? What does that look like? Yesterday, he got upset in his nab and he started to like, hit, you know, bang it. And I said, hold it. Put it down. It's just a box, a machine. Let it go. It's okay to get frustrated. It's okay. There's no need to bang it because it's not going to work any better if you're banging it. <laughs> so, you know, it's saying it's okay acknowledging it's okay to get upset. Um, it's what you do about it, you know, using your strategies, banging something or kicking is not going to help. You know, taking that time on. And if you kick, what did you learn from it? Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, 
ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.